This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue Channel. Hopefully you're getting used to the format by now, but for any newbies, I'm David Hughes and I am, as ever, joined by Mr. Josh Williams. Josh, I know the question, oh, sorry, I know the answer to the question, but how are you, mate? Good, mate, as always. Yeah, as always. Glad to be here. Yeah, as always. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, we'll uh, we'll crack on with the show. As um, always. As always. <laughs> yeah. um, Josh, we get to talk about an Everton win today. We do, yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll look back on Chelsea, which was was back on Saturday, which already seems a long time ago, but uh, it was a great win for Everton. Um, so we'll delve into that a little bit. We'll talk about the the manager situation. Obviously, it's an ever changing landscape, and the latest seems to be that of Mr. <laughs> uh, Carlo Ancelotti is the perceived favourite. Um, so we'll have a chat about him because he's certainly splitting the fan base a little bit. Um, and then we'll look ahead to another big game on the weekend, which is Manchester United at Old Trafford. Um, they're on the back of two really good results. So we'll, we'll have a look at United generally and then gauge how we think Evan will do. Um, but Josh, ahead of the uh, the Chelsea game, obviously Evan confirmed that Duncan Ferguson, a club legend, was put in as interim manager. Um that was a perfect result, really, for him, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was a good start. Uh, I think he's, he's he's kind of shown, hasn't he, since that he's not particularly interested in the long term. Thankfully, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know, from a short term perspective, he, I suppose, he was what the club needed. He's certainly what the supporters need, mm. and uh, it was good to see him on the touchline. Good to see the the way Everton played because it, I think it it's a bit of a cliche, but I think. It was kind of a back to basics approach, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I um, I really liked in the build up that he he talked a lot um, about the things that you really wanted to see in the Everton side that hasn't been there a lot this season, and you saying terminology which really played up to the psychological aspects of the game. He talked a lot about commitments, you know, passion, courage, playing for the team, and. I think, you know, when you scratch under the surface, that was some wise words and specific terminology that he was using to send the message to the players. And there was certainly a lot of a lot of it there, and the fans got on board with it. Um, and you know that that side of things. I know obviously we do a lot of number crunching, and you know we we look at data and things, but we also appreciate how big those factors are in in the game as well, don't we? Yeah, um, and yeah. I think he got that all right before the game. Yeah, I mean, wh- when you reel off those those words, it sounds a little bit yada, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. But it's it, it can just be translated really into 
you know, your application on the mm. pitch. Yeah. How you apply yourself on the pitch. And if you apply yourself in a positive, aggressive way, mm. most, uh, uh, providing you're relatively organised, most opposing teams are going to struggle to to play their own game. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, you know, on Saturday, Chelsea did struggle. Um, tactically, he set up in a 4-4-2 formation, um, which was another formation change for Everton. Um and it goes back to what you just touched on there about uh, this back to basics philosophy. Um, but it seems to work quite well, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, when I say back to basics, it was back to basics with a degree of logic. Mm. It wasn't just a case of we're going to play four four two because I like four four two. It was it was you know relatively suited to the players at its disposal. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Everton have got full backs that are inclined to overlap. They have got two wide men who are, you know, inclined to offer a goal threat, so they yeah. cut inside. It was almost like a 4-2-2-2 two, two, two yeah. at, at certain times. Mm. And they've got two, you know, fairly physical strikers who can hold the ball up and that sort of thing. Two fairly limited central midfielders who can just basically do a job. Yeah. Um. So it was, it was just a, a sensible, logical approach for me. Yeah, it was... Uh, it made... It certainly made them very, very compact in the game. Um. You know, there was an obvious lack of willingness to retain the ball. Everton finished the game with just 30% possession. Um, had a little bit look further into that, and it was actually their fewest passes per possession this season, with an average of just over two, which really touches on the nature of just how direct he wanted to play and how little he kind of wanted to get caught playing the ball. But um, it meant it was just difficult for Chelsea. You know, Chelsea couldn't play their natural game through through their their rigid formation and then when they got the ball they, they were going direct obviously Calvert-Lewin was doing a lot of good work up top um, the, as a side they seemed to be pressing in the right moments um, and I think that just all all worked out perfectly you know it wasn't a lucky win I thought Chelsea actually played fairly well on the day but Evans still won the XG according to White Scouts it was a uh, 1.55 to 0.92 obviously there's different metrics out there but it shows that Everton were, were the better side deploying these tactics yeah I think the um, the expected goals provided that I checked had Everton as 1.7 and Chelsea as 1.1 yeah so most of them had Everton with the win by you know by a couple of couple of quality shots I suppose so I'd, I'd say Everton did enough to, to win and they, they certainly benefited for the second two goals from Chelsea mistakes, if you like. Mm. Um, Chelsea defenders and, and the goalkeeper not being able to get themselves out of little little situations, but I think that's provoked. I yeah. think that stemmed from Everton's willingness to to be in the face, to be aggressive. Um, and I think just that, that possession game that you mentioned there with 30% possession, I think, again, you know, we've, we've spoken a couple of week, a couple of times about uh, Silva maybe trying to play a certain game and not having the players that are suitable. Mm. I think Everton just played a game that was suited to, to, to what they've got. They've yeah. got defenders that can soak pressure. They've got an, a fairly aggressive team. They've got relatively quick players on the break. Um, wide players that are likely to cut inside, wing-backs, that, uh, full-backs that want to advance mm. and that sort of thing. And 
I think it, it was just playing to your strengths, just you know that that age old concept of just playing, doing what you're good at, mm. and masking your weaknesses at the same time. Yeah, I agree. I, I said after the game, put a tweet out, which some people may have seen. It was basically just saying how um, you know this is this is really how how Evan performed best and how Goodison comes alive. It's it's all about you know aggressive, direct play and you know getting in people's faces. And we talked about it, didn't we, on one of the very first episodes? You were saying about how similar to Liverpool, Everton's quite you know we're all from this industrious background and it's it thrives on that sort of high tempo, intense sort of football and yeah. it doesn't really enjoy the continental style where it's about passing it about you, you know very very laboured almost um, I know you're going to jump in here but just the sort of point I was trying to make was you know only, it, to, only to be clear yeah yeah it's uh, yeah because I don't want to give the wrong picture but it just Everton just seems to in, in, enjoy being in that environment and I'm not talking about a Sean Dice type situation here but just mm. Getting the crowd going, you know, picking and choosing when to press. I thought he did that really well. And it was just a really evident performance for me. Yeah, I think I said that last week when we were identifying, you know, what Everton are as a club, basically what Everton would be if you were to see Everton perform on the pitch, mm. sort of thing. And, uh, you know, for me, it, it is, you know, an in, it should be an intense team, aggressive, assertive unwilling to just lie down mm. um, you know v- v- playing very forwards very quickly rather than building mo- slow moves into mm. leave for long passing sequences and things like that and it, it, when you say direct as well it, it doesn't necessarily have to be you know age old English football direct whereby yeah. the ball's in the air it can be direct on the floor you know yeah, like, yeah. like a, a, a club that comes to mind is are the Red Bull clubs. Red, mm. The Red Bull clubs are inclined to play direct football, but the ball stays on the floor and it, it's just it's vertical passes constantly. You, yeah. you don't really go sideways. You don't really go backwards. Mm. They'd rather go try and go forwards. If they fail, fine. The, the opposing team can have the ball and we'll wait for your next mistake to break on you again. You mean, you're, yeah, you're spot on. This is why I, I was getting a little bit frustrated with some replies I got to the tweets because people were saying, you know, that kind of aggressive football, direct football to 90s football, you know, the game's changed, you won't be successful. Well, that's a lie. You can be, but as you've just said, I'm not talking about route one and going in and crunching players. That That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you're saying there, you know, vertical passing when you get the ball, moving forward with it fast, not just trying to retain and recycle, you know, really go, and when I say aggressive, you know, pressing in the right moments, chasing balls down, these type of things. Yeah. Um, and that's you know just, what? I, I'm just going to say then, I, I, I would label it almost as, it, it's it's Merseyside football. Yeah, if you know I, what I mean. totally, yeah. Like Liverpool, I would describe Liverpool comfortably as direct. Yeah. And, they win an awful lot of matches and it's not 90s football when you watch them. It's just a case of the tempo is high, you get the ball forward quickly, no messing about, that sort of thing. The two examples I used to someone in particular who replied, said you can't win games doing that and I said, look who's leading the Premier League and look who's leading the Bundesliga. You know, Munch and Gladbach are very similar as well in yeah. this, this direct sense that they play in. Um I said that. That's what I, I. I am not interested in Everton trying to win the possession battles, or you know, trying to have the highest average possession over the course of a season. It's just about what they do with it, and 
I think the way the squad is at the moment, certainly they benefit more from a direct game. Um, I mean, even on even on Saturday, they they had seven shots on target. Bit of mind playing Chelsea, seven shots on target, um, and they've only managed more twice this season. And one was against Lincoln City in the League Cup, and the other was West Ham, who of course have got issues at the moment. Um, that so, was a great performance, though. Yeah, actually thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, so they are capable of it. Um, you know, I suppose I, just, I do want to briefly touch on the defensive side of things because. You know, to, to limit Chelsea, who have a blistering attack to like 0.9 in terms of XG and just one goal, which in terms of the, the goal itself was a bit of a... I, I don't want to say fluke goal, but it was... They don't go in. Yeah, it, it, there's a reason why he doesn't score many of them. Kovacic. Yeah, th- those are the types of shots that would get a low expected goals value. Yeah. It, that shot maybe had, this is a guess, but between 0.1 and 0.4, certainly no higher than that. Sorry, point zero four and well, point one. Well, let's point zero let's one. see if we can find the aim. I think those shots are scored roughly one percent to four percent of the time, sort of thing. Yeah. So if you can see one of those, you, you're almost welcoming those shots because they don't tend to go in. We, yeah. we actually baked Pickford up last week from outside the box. I mean, yeah. fair play to Kovacic because it is bang in the corner. Yeah, it's a difficult one no, to it's see. No, it's a good strike. By the way, just just on that, he had a he had a really good game actually. Yeah, he's a good uh, player. Yeah, yeah. But you know, if you, if you can see that goal, you can't have too much of an issue with the overall defensive performance, considering Chelsea clearly haven't scored a clear cut chance. They haven't scored a chance from inside the box. Mm. It's been one that's difficult to score. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like I can't seem to find the XG value of the strike. Um, which is a nightmare because it'd be interesting to see what it actually was. Um, but, yeah, just I'll, I'll keep having a look. But in the meantime, there's a particular performance of one player. And there was a few standout candidates, but there's one player in the day who, thought, who I thought was fantastic. And it was it was kind of um, a testament to the level that he, the level of play he's becoming. And that was Calvert-Lewin. Um you know, to play that kind of direct style that we've been talking about, you need someone who can, who's good off the ball, who makes, you know, runs in behind, runs on the flank, can hold it up. And I thought Calvert Loom was fantastic at that. And do you think he's finally becoming a, a top Premier League striker? Just quickly on that goal. Oh yeah, come on. Uh, 0.02 so expected that, goals. So, so that means in a hundred shots, that would be expected to go in twice. twice yeah. So Which, just to give you an idea, how much of a well, I think we can use that same fluke the goal was. Yeah, I mean, you'd take that. You'd take yeah. those odds, wouldn't you? You'd probably welcome shots from that distance, wouldn't you? It just so happened he's caught this one sweet. But if you restrict the sides to that, then you can be happy. Yeah. Uh, on Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I mean, I, I am I am gradually becoming a fan of this lad. I think he's he, he's a nightmare to face from a defensive perspective. Mm. Um, you know, physically built. He's fast. He's good in the air. Um perhaps needs to work on his first touch here and there mm. and I, I, I don't really like saying this but he maybe needs to be a bit more of a threat in terms of finishing chances better and, yeah. and, and things like that and getting on the end of chances actually getting shots and getting chances mm. I wouldn't say that if he had players around him that were doing it mm. say for example if he was in the team that had really attacking wide forwards mm. who were inclined to chip in goals Yeah then the onus would be on him less 
to find a net because Everton haven't really got that. There's an emphasis placed on his shoulders to he needs to start scoring for the sort of thing. So if Everton want to go and sign more attacking players that are inclined to score from other areas, then he'll feel that pressure less and he'll be able to do the whole team thing. Yeah. But as it stands at the minute, because of Everton's recruitments and things like that, the, the, the players in the squad, I, th- I just think he needs to score a bit more, which again sounds really simplistic and really cliche considering he's a striker, he should score more, but he just haven't got haven't got goals running through the team and so do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because the because the, the level of um squad Evan have got and position where they are in that you know, the, the hierarchy in the division, you know, they are more reliant on these on, on, on players like Calvert Lewin to not just score the goals you'd expect but overperform really. Um you know, you need someone like a a Vardy esque level in terms of who can score that many goals to really catapult a side who who aren't the best in the division, try and catapult them to overperform and finish in a higher position. Um, yeah, I mean, just just an example on what I've just said there, a player that just came to mind is Benzema. He over the course of a number of years hasn't scored that many, and is is known for not taking that many shots, mm. considering he's a striker for Real Madrid, but. Because of what he was doing was done to facilitate Cristiano Ronaldo next to him. Yeah, it was fine. It worked. The team, mm-hmm. the system was functional. The team was functional. The team won matches. Fine, but because Calvert Lewin hasn't got that play with him, with the exception of Richarlison, and maybe mm. just a bit more emphasis on the goal scorer. I think. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I agree with all that, and that's certainly been the case. What I will say is, I've got some numbers to back it up. This season, I think we're just seeing a. A better version of Calvert Loom just purely from the um the goal side of things. So he doesn't take a lot of shots for for the striker really. He he averages just over two per game, although it's just over two per ninety, I should say. Which it isn't a lot really as a first striker. You, you should normally see a bit more. But what I will say is I've had a look at the shot locations and that they're all from decent uh decent places on the pitch. No, they're not hitting hopes from distance. Um, which is probably a factor as to why just under fifty percent of them end up on target. Um, right now this season he's averaging 0.6 goals per ninety, which again is is decent. It's a decent return, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and his xG per ninety is 0.45, so he's actually outperforming his xG, which means in basic terms he's scoring more goals. Than would be expected from the average striker given the chances he's had. So we, there is an, an element of old performance there, and, and there's certainly improvements. Yeah, the only, the only thing I'd say on that is I, I had to look at Wesley during the week for Aston Villa, mm. and he's been expected to score something like 4.7, and he's scored four. So there's not that much of a difference in it. Mm. But I, th- I said the overall problem though is that. His XG so far is only four point seven anyway. So, so that, the XG so, is low. So yeah. even if he's uh, yeah, so I his finishing is so Wesley's finishing isn't that bad, but he's just not getting that many chances. But and then I think Calvert Lewin taking around two shots. Per yeah. I don't know. But then maybe that's a thing for once again, like that's an Everton squad issue that maybe he's taking the brunt of the blame for. But in reality, this the evidence suggests that he's doing what he can with what he has. Maybe it's the emphasis yeah. is on everyone around them to create a few more chances. Yeah, no, I definitely agree there. I yeah. mean, 
from a Liverpool angle, you know, Firmino only ever seems to receive criticism when the team isn't scoring. Mm. Um, and that, that's that's been the case for for a number of years. He doesn't receive criticism often because we we you know, we score a fair amount, but whenever we don't, you look at Firmino and think he's he should start scoring. So. As I said, if the if the Everton system was functional, if the team was winning as a whole, if the mm. team was scoring, it'd be less of to be less of a spotlight on Carvalho. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, but uh, as, as I said, those overall game is quite complete. Yeah, he's this is English homegrown. Yeah, he's actually I think he's underrated in these aspects. I think he, uh, I think in, he, he presses well. He uh, he holds up the ball well. He's almost unrivaled uh, in terms of like aerial duels against defenders. Yeah, he's a handful is, yeah. is how I describe him, I think. There's not many there's not many players out there at any level who compete as well as Calvert Lewin does in the air. Um so he's he's definitely an asset and I think it can be put to bed about this this notion of maybe he's not good enough at this level. He definitely is, but there's still work to be done. But let's forget like he's he's still under twenty three. Loads of progression to be made. So um it's nice to see him doing well and Getting rewarded with two goals from a good performance. Um, so in all, a good win, um, a much needed one. Climbed up the, <laughs> climbed up to the relegation zone with that one. <laughs> um, obviously away from the on the pitch stuff. Um, Everton are still technically, despite Ferguson's heroics, <laughs> without a without a full time manager at the time of recording. At the time of recording, yeah. <laughs> um, we know we'll Ferguson will be in there till Sunday, but we don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, and this week in the uh, Champions League, Napoli secured their place in the last 16 with a 4-0 victory, but then proceeded to sack manager Carlo Ancelotti, who is now a firm favourite to take the Everton job. Um, Josh, what's your general thoughts on Everton and Ancelotti? Um, I can completely understand the blues out there that, you know, are inclined to get a bit hyped on this sort of thing and excited about it and and things like that because he's a manager with status. He's a manager who certainly has the perk of he should be able to provide an aura in terms of enticing good players to the club sort of thing. I mm. want to play under Angelotti sort of thing. Mm. Uh, one European Cups and things like that. But I think the current job at Everton isn't suited to what Ancelotti will bring. I think Ancelotti, for me, is the man that you bring in when the house is built. Mm. Um, and Everton are still firmly building the house. Um, still laying the foundations, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think he I think he tends to lack intensity, which is not a good thing at all, mm. because I think Everton's supporters in particular relate to football that is intense mm. and I think he lacks a bit of that but even behind the scenes in, in the whole training training and things like that you know I'm aware of when when he got appointed by Bayern Munich to take over from Pep Guardiola the Bayern players really felt the drop mm. from Pep I mean Pep's intense so it's probably <laughs> it's worth throwing that in there but <laughs> if you're going to drop from Pep Guardiola to Ancelotti most would, would expect that to be seamless but the Bayern players certainly felt it in terms of training, mm. which isn't a good thing, as I said. Um, but I, ju- I just think, I think Everton need a, an intense, driven, hungry coach who's gonna who's aspiring for the same things 
that Everton are as a club, if you, if you understand. Yeah, totally, yeah. No, so <clears throat> this is a bit of a double-edged sword for me. So I'll, I'll initially touch on your point, Josh, because I totally agree with it. And I've said two weeks ago, um, I personally would have not wanted Ancelotti. Um, I agree with everything Josh has said. I think, listen, he's, a, he's an all-around, mild-mannered, likeable guy. You know, he's he's proved he is an astute coach with a phenomenal football and CV, you know, three-time Champions League winner, multiple domestic leagues. On paper, he's fantastic. Um, but I have to agree with Josh. I think there's... There's issues at Everton at the moment where they need a coach to come in who is in for the long haul, um, you know, try and build a legacy, but not necessarily a legacy and just amassing a ton of trophies from the outset. Needs to build the brand, lay the foundations, recruit the players they want, all within his playing style. Um, can, I, can I just say, you, you said there that he's um, an, an elite coach. Would you not label him as an elite manager and the coaching aspects of the game? He's a bit less inclined to focus on. Yeah. Because I think he's... I mean, he's got a book, hasn't he? I think it's called Quiet Leadership or something mm-hmm. like that. I think he's inclined to come in and just be almost like a an overseer. Do yeah. you see what I mean? Yeah, that was, that was probably lazy terminology by me there. Yeah, it's... What, yeah, I suppose he, he he's not he, he's not someone. In, in, you want to talk about the difference between Pep? You know, Pep's on the training ground drilling. You know, what, yeah, whatever. The I'd label Pep where, as a head coach. Yeah, whereas he, Ancelotti's maybe overseeing. Um, but listen, we still can't take what he's done away from no. him. He's he's still been phenomenal. But um, we'll come back to him in a second. Um, but yeah, just as I said, Everton should really what Everton should be doing now is find discovering the brand. You know bringing in a manager who goes with that brand, he should be then spending the next season or two recruiting the players and implementing the playing style to fit that. And then from there, everyone should start looking to be competitive and win things. Yeah. That's I, the perfect plan. Certainly, yeah, definitely. But, <laughs> <laughs> and that was that, uh, you could tell the boat was coming. I have no faith in the current... Um, regime regime that they <laughs> are aware of how that works it's become apparent to me and many others I think that um, this current regime can't see what we're seeing yeah. <laughs> or they don't have the same ideas And do you think Brandt can or do you think he's because from my perspective and outsider's perspective Brandt looks as though rather than being the man to come in and lead the football side mm. of the club He's instead being used as an advisor hmm. to Ken Wright and Mashiri, yeah. which is not what his role is supposed to be. No, um, is is input for me, and it's a, it, obviously we're not privy to the conversations, are we? We don't know what's getting said behind closed doors, so it's all guesswork. But from an outsider looking in, he should be what Josh says, and for me, he's he's either not or he's being ignored and. From what I can gather, looking at Mashiri, it's probably the latter. I think Mashiri's very Mashiri, which I understand he invests a lot of money into the club, but he wants to be a part of the club as well. He wants he wants to oversee decisions. He wants to he wants to play an active role in in the football club and how it's run. Which, in my opinion, is a recipe for disaster. Really, yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree on that. 
Uh, so going back to the man- manager situation, I look at it and I think Everton were on the cusp of at least trying to recruit Pereira from the Chinese Super League, which I couldn't find a single positive about that re- about that recruitment. I, I just I couldn't I I couldn't I, I looked into him looked into his side and yet the you know the underlying numbers look good they they won the title but it's the Chinese Super League yeah, oh, how much yeah, can yeah. you how much can you really gain from from that um, he seems an explosive character not someone you really want to be manager of your side um, I, I just think on Ancelotti I think he's the man to introduce once you're absolutely ready to win hmm. like. Spurs, mm. whereby Spurs have reached a point with the squad, having you know experienced Pochettino for a couple of years, mm. that squad is now old enough and mature enough and stuff like that to actually win right now if it's possible. So you get Mourinho in. I think Ancelotti is that kind of manager. You get him in when the squad built, mm. Everton's complete, they're ready to win immediately, and Everton have got a rebuild on. They're not ready to win right now. And when I say win, I mean I mean you know win at the business yeah, end yeah, and yeah, yeah. qualify for the Champions League and you know push for compete at the top. Basically. Yeah, compete at the top sort of thing. Yeah, and are I we, think go on. I was going to say, are we see? Is there a projected version of this move already in the Premier League in this in the sense of uh, Pellegrini and West Ham? Um, although although Pellegrini possibly, yeah. isn't as successful, Pellegrini comes under that same. It, yeah, it's it's that it's that employing a name. Yeah, when you don't actually, I would love to to, to to you know grasp what the reasoning is from Everton's board. Why are you appointing Ancelotti? Mm. I'd love to know why, and I'd I'd love to ask them like, what 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 style of play are you expecting? Mm. What what does my, what does Ancelotti coach in terms? Because I, I don't think to know. If I'm totally honest, has he has he worked with the director of football? Uh, I'm not entirely sure on that one because I don't know off the top of my head. And I, a few clubs, I checked he he hadn't. My, my assumption would be when you've played, when you've coached the the um, the elite cl- club clubs that he has, um, he will at some point encounter directors of football. But I don't know if he has. So again, you're like, you know, is that relationship going to work as well? Mm. It's beyond the name. I can't really see why. Yeah, it just it 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 goes beyond. We've reached a point in football where it it should go beyond just employing a good manager or just employing a manager with a great CV mm-hmm. and and look at where he's won and mm-hmm. things like that because he needs to ultimately be suited. He needs to be suitable. Mm-hmm. Everton at a club for me, I, again, very very intense club with and that that has to be personified by the players. And it has to be represented accurately on the pitch. Mm. And I think I'm not I'm not slating Ancelotti's work by any means, but I'm just not sure he entirely fits that fits that bill. Mm. Ancelotti's quite quite strategic, uh, very very tactical. I'm not sure there's a specific identity to his teams. Mm. Um, when he went to Bayern, took over from Pep, and one of the very first things he said was, "I don't want to change much." I just want to continue Pep's work. He said exactly the same when he went to Napoli and mm. took over from Sarri. He makes subtle adjustments positionally and things like that. Like he changed Napoli to a four-four-two yeah. rather than a four-three-three. Mm. But beyond that, he, he 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 likes to come in when when things have 
I've been well established and things are Yeah, and yeah. things are settled and he makes subtle adjustments that are often very good adjustments, but Everton, he's, he's going to require more than that. He's going to have to start from scratch at Everton. Mm, I agree. Well, <coughs> I suppose you touched on him being quite uh, quite a tactical manager. <laughs> it, uh, maybe for people who, I assume everybody who's listening, they'll, they'll know. Um, know the name, but he might not know the fundamentals of, of the way he coaches. So uh, I've got a piece coming out on the Echo uh, probably today, actually. So by the time you listen, it might already be out. Um, that's basically just running around, running down the fundamentals of, of his tactics. Um, so yeah, it might be at DA Hughes underscore or just go on the Echo website. But to give a very quick overview, um, I think you actually already touched on this, Josh. He doesn't really tend to focus on one particular style of play. Um, and he'll often adjust his tactics, really, depending on the opposition. Um, which I don't mind. I actually quite like fluidity in a, in a coach. but um, I, I don't mind that, providing it's, it comes alongside yeah, an so, identity. Yeah, I was just about to say, so as long as there's a plan A in place, you don't mind if the, an ability to revert to a plan B. But yeah. right now, it's probably fair to say I haven't, I haven't really got a plan A. Um, but yeah, I mean... These, I was going to say... He was weird that Everton targeted Unai Emery as well, wasn't he? Yeah. And he's very similar in that. In that, he's in that mould in terms of his actual brand of football. You wouldn't be able to to strictly nail it, mm. but he makes constant changes from match to match. Um, variety of formations, plenty of half time changes, and things mm. like that. And I yeah. think Everton needs to. I mean, I'm not, I don't think they will, but I, I think the hierarchy needs to move away from from. Chasing CVs and, and things like that, and he needs to instead. But we we keep saying this: they need to pick pick out the identity of a, of a manager, what he's coaching, and whether that suits Everton as a club. Yeah. Um. But I completely take your point in terms of it doesn't look like they're going to do that. If you're going to go against that, Ancelotti's probably one of the better options that you can get wrong. If as mad as that sounds, if you see, no, see yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad you segued that in. To be honest, because. Yeah, um, I said off off the show before we come in. I, I basically said, you know, given that we know we now know what we know about Everton's board, I'd probably be on board with Ancelotti because he's he's the best option. And when they're talking about bringing the likes of Pereira or maybe even Moyes back, I think he's probably the best the best option out there. If you're going to look short term again, I said it's not ideal for every reason we've just stated, but. Um, Do you think it's fair to paint him as the best worst option? Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I think that is the, the best it. title you could give it. Yeah, yeah, he is the best worst option. He's got a lot of things in his favour. Um, we've already touched on the negatives. In fact, we'll, we will focus on the positives because there's a good chance he might end up being Everton's manager in a couple of weeks, and we'll I'll be trying to get behind it then. So, um, yeah, he tends to rely predominantly on a four-four-two, and he's used the same in. Upwards of seventy percent of his uh, matches in charge looks to build attacks down the flanks. Um, normally, have one wing back supporting, um, whilst the other will sit back. I assume in, in Everton that would be Luca Dean, um, and it tends to resemble, resemble something like a three-five-two when they're in possession. Um, but you know, this season was a bit strange. Obviously, they had poor form, and the when he when he's left them the. Seventh in Syria, um, so although they 
qualified for the last 16 Champions League, the the way off the top four, and that's probably been one of the reasons he's he's gone. Um, prior to the win in midweek, he he went nine games without a victory. Um, but last season, the they, had, they did tend to dominate a lot of the key areas on the pitch. You know, they were they enjoyed the second highest ball possession average, um, scored the second highest number of goals, uh, the second highest xG in the division. They had the most shots and they had the second lowest xG against. So, I mean, they were on the whole a, a rather dominant side. This season, things went a little bit wrong, but there's a there's a good piece if you want to read up on it um, by Gabriel Marcotti on ESPN talking about why he was sacked basically and there's a lot of variables away from the pitch that have impacted um what's gone on at Napoli you know there was there was issues with players um mutiny was the term uh, I believe like in some parts yeah yeah a little bit surprising considering the whole you know the quiet nature of Ancelotti mm. I suppose quite weird that uh, so what I could gather about this story was that he um they, they weren't happy with recent results the owner and he wanted the coaching staff and the players to remain at the training complex for the week of like intense training <laughs> um, to which he he and his coaching staff did do but the players refused to do so so that's where the disciplinaries come in but I think the um, the owner held Ancelotti accountable for basically not forcing his players to, that to, sounds like to a stay. Crazy situation. Yeah, it does. Yeah, but you can understand how that could maybe impact the decision to to sack him. Um, so listen, the chances are he, we might see some good stuff. We might give a a new manager bounce if he did come in, and Everton could have a decent season. But we both agree that it's not. Not it, it, the right long term option. Yeah, I think that's it. That's that's the crucial thing. It's it's the whole building for the future mm. and being a sustainable club in, in terms of you know not consistently going up, going through transition. Yeah, the, the, so many football clubs nowadays talk about the whole it's a it's a it's a period of transition, but transitioning in new players and new managers and all this stuff, and mm. you have to eventually move away from that cycle, and yeah. you have to eventually have some stability. Yeah, and if Everton was to employ Someone other than uh, someone other than Ancelotti who was in that mould, and even if he did eventually leave or some players left, and, and he continued by just recruiting another manager in the same mould, replacing players with players in the same mould mm. in terms of what the styles that they're suited to on the pitch, Everton wouldn't have to go through these consistent periods of transition. But um, getting in Ancelotti, you just you just feel like you know what what's the maximum amount of time you could you could do it Goodison Park because. Maybe three years. You know what I mean, could, could you even see that? I, I, I think in two years we'd, we'd be in this same situation, and I think they would be looking for another manager, potentially a whole new identity, whole new group of players. And this is this is the point we're trying to say about trying to avoid that cycle now. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe he could come in and win an FA Cup, a League Cup, and that would certainly. I mean, I tell you what, the way it's been for Everton over the last 25 years, you'd be a hero. So <laughs> maybe some people are thinking if there's some short-term success, it's worth the long-term heartache. But I don't know. I think if we if, if Everton want to be sustainable, they should be thinking longer term. But I don't think that's going to be the case under this regime. So maybe Ancelotti is the man just to, just to bring in. 
Possibly. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Mm. Um, anyway, before anything happens on that front, we've we've got a big game to look at, and that's Everton away uh, at Manchester United on on Sunday. Um, we've we've actually almost done a whole podcast on Manchester United, haven't we? And the analysing Anfield show before Liverpool played them about six weeks ago. Um, I'm not sure many Everton fans listening would want to go back and watch that, but it's. I'd like to think it's insightful, isn't it? It's, it's objective and insightful, so if you do want a, an idea of how that club's run, go and check it out. But what are your general thoughts on United and under Solskjaer, Josh? Um, I think they've, <laughs> think they've recognised the mistakes, yeah. which is huge, but... They're still a bit naive in terms of how they're going about things. I think they've realised that regarding recruitment, you can't just sign good players and expect them to do well because they're good. Mm. They have to suit what you're trying to do. You got in Di Maria to play Van Gaal strict mm. football, which was never going to be suited. Mm. And then Mourinho comes in, and Mourinho taking over players such as Daily Blint. Yeah, it was just never going to work. And I think United gradually got to the point where they they recognised. The need for uh, what I've just said, really, that no more transition years, things like that, constantly moving forwards in one direction. They're basically, sorry, go on. But I was just going to say they're basically Everton, but a bit more successful, aren't they? Over the last five, six years, they've won the odd trophy, but on the whole, they've just had multiple systems, managers, and transitions. Yeah, just too many mistakes regarding recruitment, getting in too many managers that were doomed to fail inside three years getting in too many players that weren't suited to, as I said, what they were doing on the pitch, and it resulted in too much turnover. Mm. So this this season, in the summer, you know they had to just take the hit, if you like, and they got rid of players that weren't so suitable to what they're going to move forward with, which mm. is what Solskjaer's doing. Yeah. Um, you know, restoring the, the fast game that United used to have, I suppose, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, obviously, they only signed, they signed Harry Maguire... They signed Daniel James and who's the last one? Someone, someone escapes me there. Uh, Wambasaka. Wambasaka, yeah. Uh, I've got question marks regarding Wambasaka's suitability to what they're trying to do, considering he's a predominantly defensive player and they want to play an offensive game. But he's still a useful player, of, of course. But the lyncher that the United fans at the moment have the heard that because uh, <laughs> Wambasaka is certainly the flavour of the month, isn't he? Yeah, um, but yeah. yeah, no, I agree with what you're saying. Um, yeah, I mean they're probably a little bit better than what the league table says. Um, you know, they got d- good defensive numbers. They've got good underlying attacking numbers, albeit the same as being padded out slightly by eight penalties, which is by far <laughs> the highest in the Premier League. That's incredible. Yeah, I think the the closest behind them is someone like Palace with three. But yeah. eight penalties is high at this stage in the season. Um, so yeah, it has. They've according to XG, the fourth best side. As I said, we have to take that with a pinch of salt because of penalties. But they've got um, the second best XG against behind only Liverpool, which illustrates them as a pretty solid defensive unit. Um, and I think so. Just on. just on that day, they're currently tenth in the t- eight. Fifth in the league for expected goals, but if you remove penalties, 
they are 10th in the league for yeah. expected goals. There we go. I told you it would be padded out. So they've benefited yeah. a lot on the expected goals numbers from, you know, getting penalties, which are roughly scored like 76% of the time. So Yeah, it's about to score about 0. Point, as you said, 0. Yeah, 0. 0.76. Yeah, so if you've got eight of them, yeah. you know, 0. 0.76 times eight, do the maths, but... That's the boost that they've got. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, they, they are a decent side, but there has been certainly elements of luck, specifically the penalties. But they had two huge results um, last week, uh, wins against Tottenham and Manchester City. For me, that doesn't really change much, you know. I know they'll be highly motivated and tails up, but um, I obviously... Look a lot, United soldiers. Josh, we write about them a fair bit for the Manchester Evening News, and what I found is United will always perform well in those games under this management, but they just struggle to break down sides who will sit back. Yeah, but I think that stems from the place. I mm. think what they're trying to get towards, you know, restoring the old United. If you like, we see that, you know, they're close to their end goal, I suppose against teams that are willing to play them, mm. teams that are willing to have a go at them, but against teams that are willing to accept, okay, we are the inferior team today, and United have to break them down, that then, and they sit in the defensive block deep, deep in the field, that clogs the space around Rashford, around Martial, around Daniel James, and it places the space around Wan-Bissaka, Fred, McTominay, um, you know, players like that who aren't particularly threatening on no, the ball. Um, not key creative sparks, are they really? No, so the emphasis is on them to create something because Rashford's clogged out the game. Yeah. And he can't. Yeah. I watched a clip of Martial, who I do think is a really good player on the counter, but I watched them against, I think it was against Aston Villa, where they drew two all two weeks ago at Old Trafford, the last home game. And the, the, he just seems incapable of finding any pockets of space. He doesn't seem to have that know-how about them. You know, like the really good players, the top side, they just find the pockets to receive the ball. I don't think United's forwards do that. Um, I think Martial in particular is a bit lazy, Yeah, to be honest. He he has a certain way that he likes to play, and that's obviously on the counter, you know, at pace. He'd be played really well at the Etihad, and that's why. Um, so... If Everton kind of deployed the similar tactics that they did against Chelsea, I actually tipped them to get a result. You know, Josh, I don't know about you. No, I'm the same. Yeah, it's 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 the the exact, particularly the, the changes Ferguson made. Mm. It's the exact. I'm Duncan Ferguson on, yeah. the, on that one. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's the exact type of opponent that United have struggled against this mm. season, breaking down an aggressive defensive block while. You know, trying to prevent counter attacks from materialising, yeah. and you know it may be maybe difficult to do. There'll be an emphasis on United to to actually do something on the ball, yeah. considering that they're at home as well. Um, and it'll be interesting to see whether they're capable. But from from Everton's perspective, just again, thirty percent possession is fine. Yeah. Let them have the ball. When you get the ball, advance up the pitch quickly if you can. And if you can't, don't worry about it. Do it again in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't just reset every time. Get back into your positions. Wait for your opportunities. I'm pretty sure United will give give Everton plenty. Um, as I said, I'm I'm quietly confident with this. Um, if we go on predictions, I I'll say one one. Um, 
just because if it's a victory, we can revel in that. Uh, and equally, if, if it's a defeat, I don't have too much egg on my face. But just for the reasons I've said and Josh said there, I I do fancy Evan a little bit in this game. Yeah, it's tricky, this one. I wouldn't I wouldn't divert too much from one one to be honest. Possibly mm. possibly two one Everton. Okay. I'm not sure I'm not sure though. Mm. Depends whether depends whether A Everton's bounce lasts. Yeah. And B whether United take any kind of bounce from the week that they've just had. Yeah. But as I said, it's a different proposition when you're breaking down the team as opposed to when you're going toe to toe with the team. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Just quickly on Everton's bounce, if it does last, because we, we we agree, don't we, that that's what they enjoyed against Chelsea to an extent. You know, if, if Everton got results a little Trafford, would you would you leave Ferguson in for the Leicester Cup game that they have a few days later? It, it just depends on, on, on whether they're set on, on Ancelotti, to be honest. But one thing I did mean to say, actually, that I haven't got round to, is I think there'll be plenty of supporters out there I'm that, glad, I'm, I'm glad you said this that, that are now inclined to say, and I know for certain it will have crossed Ken Wright's mind, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> but there'll be a lot out there that are inclined to say, just give Ferguson it, give Ferguson the job. Mm. Please don't, because yeah. it, I'm not doubting that he's good at what he does by any means. But once a bounce wears off, you're then reliant on other things to win you games. Mm. And you've got to have more than just a bounce, basically. I agree. And Everton need something a bit more long-term. They need to, um, as as we've said in previous episodes, treat a temporary fix as a temporary fix. Don't be led on by results and things like that. Um, so I think what Ferguson did do, he offered a clear insight into what Everton need and what Goodison needs mm. in terms of the style of play, the aggression, you know, the industry, um, progression from A to B quickly. That style of football just gets someone who's maybe a bit more qualified to impose that game. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I mean that's a good good note to end it on, end the show on because I, I totally agree with Josh. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up there. I think you said it perfectly. Um, once again, everyone, thanks for your your messages, your DMs and stuff. It's it is great to see that you're really enjoying the show and um, obviously I've, had, I've finally had a look at the. Um, listens or amount of listens that the show's been getting and I was pleasantly surprised we both were um, so yeah it's great to see that you're enjoying it um, hopefully it continues um, we'll be back next week talking about United Leicester um, and then Arsenal which comes up so it's a it's a busy period maybe some changes in, in manager as well um, but until then have a great weekend Josh thank you very much no worries, mate. Thanks. Cheers. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.